Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Pip Drysdale. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. At Final Draft, we're dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week, we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Two SER broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundagara people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to the lands. This is stolen land. Treaty was never made in Australia. Pip Drysdale is an actor, a musician, and a writer. She's the author of The Sunday Girl and The Strangers We Know, which is currently in production for a TV adaptation. Today, Pip is joining me to discuss her latest novel, The Paris Affair. Harper Brown has arrived in Paris to live her dream. She's leaving her romantic baggage behind and starting a job at an online magazine as its new art and culture writer. This is Paris, and a small borrowed apartment and rude co-workers are just part of the charm. Except Harper's nourishing dreams of becoming a hard-hitting reporter, and the arrogant git who currently does that job is ignoring her warnings that a serial killer may be stalking women on the streets of Paris. Join me as we discover Pip Drysdale's The Paris Affair. Pip, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the journey you've taken me on. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for chatting. I um, I actually have to say, The Paris Affair has been on my mind probably for the last month. It's been also, it's been almost a month, I think, since I read it. Um, yeah. And I think my thinking has has flipped and changed and all sorts of things. So I'm really excited for this chat. Do you mind okay. if we do you mind if we touch on a couple of things before we get started? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, first things first things first. Um, I was thinking about how to approach the interview. Of course, like any any new book that has a mystery element, you want to be you know very circumspect about that. There's there's not a lot of fun to revealing too much. Yeah, you've got to be really careful, especially with this book, because, um, like, for example, when I was doing the elevator pitch, I had to be super careful what I said and didn't say, because you don't want to ruin it, you Mm. know? Absolutely. Now, I've come up with, not I've come up with, but the way my thinking has has sort of moved me, what I'd like to approach doesn't go particularly anywhere near um, the... The, the mystery so much, but it does, I wanted, I really wanted to tap in. And I, I think one of the reasons it's been on my mind is of course, um, all of the very grim news that is a part of constant discussion, particularly around violence against women at the moment. And what, what, what I, re- what you really got me thinking with um, the Paris affair was the way Harper's story so much kind of hinges around those ideas of situational awareness and yeah, and so I really I, I thought we could explore that and without going into without going into the the nuts and bolts of the mystery we can look at how that aspect of of uh, I guess our our society and our culture mm. plays out in a mystery like this um, you know where you're That's you're cool. You're not dealing. You're not dealing with a Poirot type who's going to, you know, very dryly just observe the facts. This is you are. You have a protagonist who has a stake in the game, and it's very much baked into her character. 
Now, I'm really excited to get into this and, and the the story that you've crafted around your, your main character, Harper Brown. But I thought I'd just let people know at the beginning, at the outset, that this story is going to touch on some issues that people may find, um, may find confronting. And just pop a content warning on that in case people might want to tune out. But let's get into it because Harper Brown... Harper Brown, your protagonist, has arrived in Paris to live her dream. She's leaving her romantic baggage behind and starting a job at an online magazine as its new art and culture writer. Now, this is Paris. A small borough apartment and rude co-workers, they're just part of the charm. Except Harper's nourishing dreams of becoming a hard-hitting reporter. And the arrogant git currently doing that job is ignoring her warnings that a serial killer may be stalking women on the streets of Paris. I love this setup because Harper is very much an underdog, but she's she's no usual underdog because she's seemingly got most of her stuff together and she's incredibly strong. I want to get it out of the way at the outset that The Paris Affair is a tight action mystery and usually I'd be super worried about spoilers right now. But despite the thrills and twists, I want us to focus on something very particular about the character of Harper that informs her story but is tragically all too relevant to our world right now. Now, at the beginning, Harper, she's brand new at the Paris Observer, but she's built her reputation with a blog, How to Not Get Murdered. And this is kind of, I I felt like it was part Chekhov's gun, but part this hyper-real situational awareness guide for women. I guess some people would like to believe that, you know, a spate of horrible stories about violence against women is an anomaly but truthfully this is a situation that's always existed i wondered where this this blog idea and and harper's backstory came from for you to be honest i have pretty much spent my entire life cataloging ways to not get murdered so um and i have picked up like um tricks and tips from podcasts i've picked them up from true crime documentaries i've watched on netflix um I picked them up from true crime novels. And I don't know that I'm that unique like that. I think a lot of women probably do that. You know, you, you think things like um, don't walk up to a panel van and um, because you read something in the newspaper about a woman who was pulled into a panel van. So you learn to be wary of those sorts of things. And um, I can't even tell you how, how big the catalogue in my brain is of things you shouldn't, shouldn't do in order to not get murdered, which is truly sad. But... Um, it's just how it is. I probably should have done a Google search before we started chatting. So I don't know, but does does anything like this exist out there? Because I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It sounds really like sure. yeah. I'm not actually really sure. I hope so. But um, I, whenever I ever listen to a true crime podcast, what I'm listening for, I mean, apart from the story and um, the horror of it, is I'm kind of listening for what happened and how could it have gone differently and what was. What could you possibly have done differently? Because I suppose that's the only way that I get a sense of um, kind of agency because otherwise you are quite vulnerable. I feel like as as viewers of stories, we get that sort of frisson of excitement in, say, a horror movie screaming at the screen saying, don't go down to the basement because, of course, yeah. we know that's what's going to happen. But that's... That's a luxury of, of sitting on your couch on a Friday night. Does it make you angry yeah. to, to, to know that this is something that you have to do and that it, it is such an important part of your character's story? 
lots of things make me angry about the world, <laughs> but um, and this is probably one of them. But I also think that to create a character like Harper, she has to live in the real world, and she she has to be responding to it the way that I would, for example. And so it was a necessary part of her character development. But would I prefer that we lived in a world where a woman didn't have to do that? Of course I would. I mean, does it make me angry? Of course it does. I'm sure it makes every woman angry. It probably makes a lot of men angry too. So when we meet Harper, she's in the process of explaining how to lose a guy in three minutes. Now, this scene plays on power dynamics in relationships. And here we have Harper firmly in control. Did you want the Paris Affair to explore these gendered ideas of power? Yes, and I really wanted them to I really wanted them to break down the idea that all women are desperately looking for a happily ever after and that um, it's men trying to avoid relationships and not women because I, I don't believe that every woman falls into that prototype. So, um, so yeah, that's why I made it that way. And her latest assignment, I mean, I think it's only her fourth for the Paris Observer, it's taking mm-hmm. her to a launch of the hottest new artist in town, Noah X. I was really interested yeah. in the way that both Harper and Noah in their first meetings, they hide their identities from each other. And of course, there are very interesting story reasons for this, but I felt like it also yeah. kind of mirrored it mirrored the way people are able to dissemble and to play roles in their online romantic lives and how this isn't yeah. always an equal power relationship. Like what what did you want to explore about identity here? Oh my goodness. Oh, how can I put that into a succinct little two-liner? Um, oh, you got you take all the lines a, you want. <laughs> <laughs> when I write a book, for example, it, there's so much to it. It is so nuanced and there's so much going on and it alters and changes. And half the time, I'm learning what I think and what I believe and what I'm trying to say as I'm working. So um, I will start out with the plot, for example, but thematically, I will learn a lot as I go. And then I will um, try to distill what I've realized I'm trying to say, right? So, yes, I was definitely playing with um, the whole idea that these days you don't really know exactly who you're getting in a relationship with a lot of the time. Um, We think we do, but we're only presented by what's available online about people and what they tell us. And often the truth is really different to that. And for all I know, that's what it was like a long time ago as well. But I can only speak to my own personal experiences of dating now, right? And so, yeah, I suppose I was trying to explore that. I guess at the heart of of that kind of power dynamic also is what is held back. Now, of course, what's being held back is the heart of any mystery, um, you as you as the writer, and I mean, luckily me, I've read the book now. I know what's happening. We're we're working hard yeah. to hold back what we know. But in that re- in that relationship, in that burgeoning relationship, in all of Harper's relationships, because she is yeah. she is a uh, she's about twenty eight years old. She's in a city that she knows, but is not a native of. She is very vulnerable um, to to yeah. what she doesn't know. How does how, I mean? How does that pe- dynamic of pe- of holding back kind of play out in the world that you see? What do you mean by holding back? I'm, I'm well, Harper, the I'm 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 skirting really very much around the particular characters because I don't want to reveal obviously what yes. different characters course, are holding yes. back. 
but that idea that idea that we drip feed people and that we only show people what um, what they need to know do you see that as a barrier perhaps to us building relationships oh I actually do I really do and ironically in my own personal relationships I tend to be quite direct and very open about um, things about myself only because I feel like that's the only way to truly build connection but um, yeah I said that I'm I've been deeply frustrated by um, the fact that the world in general doesn't seem to work that way. So it probably is my way of exploring that. It's really interesting how necessary it becomes, though, because um, one of the one of the very essential characters and, and really interesting relationships um, is between Harper and her best friend. And I say yeah. it's a really interesting relationship because... It, it, it's allowed to exist in parallel to, I, I guess, what we might call the driving mystery of the narrative. And yeah. Harper also deliberately holds back. She holds back for reasons of um, the concern and not wanting to worry her friend. And yeah. the, way we, the way we can slip into those, um, into those patterns, even with the people that we care the most about. It's usually with the people we care the most about because you're trying to protect them or, um, yeah, mainly it's because you're trying to protect them. So, yeah. So as we move forward, we learn that Paris is gripped by the disappearance of a young woman and that there's a lack of developments in the case. It means that the media is losing interest, that the police are potentially not going to be pursuing it for much longer. I mean, I feel like this is, this is something that we know too well um, in our day-to-day experience of, of the world and, and media. Yeah. I wondered, I wondered as you were writing this, what you were thinking about the role that public interest plays in the ways that we view violent crime. Well, that was that's actually a really interesting question because when I was writing it, one of the things that I really had to work around was the way that um, crimes like this are investigated in France, which isn't the same way that they're investigated in other places. Mm. Um, For example, in France, people have the right to disappear. And so the police will only investigate a crime if there's obvious um, proof that there was foul play. So if somebody saw you being kidnapped um, or they found a body um, or if you were a minor. So I had to really work around that, um, which is, oh, I can't really say too much without ruining the plot, but that that really played into a lot of the choices that I made um, about how stories got out there. Um, as opposed, because, for example, in France, um, the police don't use the media to um, reach out to the public. Um, so it's not like in the States, for example, and even in Australia, where the police will ask the media to please find, ask the public for help or if they've seen anything, in France, there is a very clear divide from between the media and um, the police. And so I needed to be very careful to make the story and the way that it was dealt with reflect that so that it was realistic. I wondered if we could move into the digital realm for a moment here because yeah. obviously the way we engage is hugely influenced by the media we consume and there is just a plethora of media out there and I mean, really conspicuous in the story is that Harper has this love of true crime po- podcasts, which, I mean, that's that's a huge part of the population. They they are so yeah. hot right now. I wonder if 
if you think back to a time before there were true crime podcasts, do you think that they have changed the narrative, this idea that there will always be an investigator who will go out and give us closure, will give us a sense of an ending? Oh, I don't know, you know. I haven't really I haven't really given that much thought. I suppose I think when I think of true crime podcasts, the thing that I mean, I love them. Don't get me wrong. I listen to so many of them. But I think the the thing that concerns me about them is simply that there is a sense of celebrity given to killers that I don't love. Mm. Um but whether I don't I mean have I'm trying to think of whether there have actually been situations where true crime podcasts have solved a crime that the police haven't. I'm not actually 100% sure about that. For example, I was recently watching this documentary um, about the Cecil Hotel in LA um, on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, but mm. it really it sort of showed how sometimes when people try to investigate crimes themselves and they don't have all the information, they can end up ruining the lives of people who didn't do anything wrong. And I, that was my great takeaway from that. I only watched it recently. Highly recommend it to anyone listening. Um, I can't remember the exact name, though. I think it's called something about Vanishing and the Cecil Hotel, but I found it fascinating. Mm. Um, so, sorry, what was the question? I feel like I've gone off on a total tangent. Not at all. I mean, <laughs> I was really, I'm really just intrigued by, you were, you were describing a particularly, um, you know, a particularly cultural and, I guess, socio-political situation in France yeah. where the way they investigate is is guided by um, the, the rules that they have around a person's right to disappear. But then we, yeah. also, we also see sort of worldwide social media makes us engage with these stories in a very that's different way. That's why. In a very yeah, different that's way. That's why I included it. Mm. That's why I included the social media aspect with um, in the Paris Affair in terms of um, looking for one of the girls who is missing. I really needed to include um, social media because that's how it plays out. Mm. Often if um, things are not being investigated in a way that people might want, they will take things into their own hands and it will go viral. So um, I really wanted to reflect that in the book. Sometimes people ask me things like why, I, like how and why I use social media in my novels. But to me, I feel like if you're writing a contemporary novel, it would be really hard not to include social media because if you're looking into a crime, I mean, what's your alternative to go like rifle through someone's rubbish? It mm. feels um, it feels like you'd have to be a bit silly not to get onto the internet and do a quick Google search or look at social media or post something on social media. You know. I want to bring something up about also also about your use of social media, which which yeah. I, I loved, and I, I think you're absolutely right, this need to reflect the the reality but also the dangers that exist in our yeah. in our contemporary world. And I'm going to skirt very carefully around the way yeah. this, this sits within the plot. But, I mean, yeah. in, in, the broader, in the broader kind of tech debate that we have, there's a whole lot of um, – there's a whole lot of discussion in many jurisdictions around what rights – uh, p- bodies like the police will have to access data to help them solve a crime, and yet there yeah. is there is a moment in the Paris affair where some yeah. very publicly available data seems to cause a particularly fraught situation for Harper. Um, 
And I guess that was, I guess for a lot of people reading the book, that would make oh, them right. jump straight into their settings and go, okay, geolocation, I'm just going to make sure that uh, I'm not giving away more than I plan to give away when I start posting. Yes, however, in um, and I don't know exactly which plot point you're talking about because there's like so many of them. It's good the way, there, I, it's good the way I did that. I've not spoiled anything. I know you did so well. <laughs> however, I did actually make sure in a couple of the points in the book that it wasn't really reliant on, for example, geolocation settings. But mm. they were um, clues within social media um, that could be relied upon as opposed to um, bad um, security settings. And now that you've pointed that out, it just let's just go delete all our social so media hard. accounts. It, it, I know, but it's so hard to talk about this book. And to be candid without ruining it for someone. And I'm trying so hard. No, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's brilliant. And you do. You expose how, how vulnerable we can leave ourselves. And I guess we've, we've circled back around to this idea of situational awareness. What we're discussing yeah. here is the person who is trying to live their own life having, having to be, and in this case we're talking about your protagonist, Harper, we're yeah. talking about her needing to be constantly aware at the possibility that there is danger. And that's... That's what I feel like you've yeah. explored so amazingly in the Paris Affair because, of course, we want to strive for a world where people are not feeling so vulnerable that they have to check their every movement. But, of course, that's not the world that we live in. No. And it feels like we're getting further and further from that ideal world, mm. but it's hard to know because maybe it's just that we're more aware of it, mm. you know? So. Now we. Um, sorry, was there a question? I think I missed it. No, I tend to. I tend to drop just comments. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, crap. Occasionally, I'll do like a little rising intonation <laughs> at the end to imply a question. Now, as the okay. as the story moves forward, another woman has been found murdered, and the stakes are raised. And Harper has to face connections that she sees to the crime. I know yeah. that these are fictions. But how did you actually feel writing around the, the necessity of this violence for driving the story and driving the message of the story? Um, what do you mean the necessity of the violence? Like, um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably, it, it almost seems like a, a stupid question to ask. Um, you've got a mystery mm-hmm. that involves solving a murder, asking yeah. how do you feel about the fact that there is a murder? Of course, there wouldn't be a story without it, but... What we learn at the end of the book is that there are particular patterns to what has been happening. And I wondered how, yeah. how you feel about the necessity of, the, of these, these patterns, the fact that the story moves forward with these two deaths of young women. Well, I hate it. I wish we lived in a world where all I could do was write romance novels and everything was always happy endings and nobody had to check the locks on their windows or be scared of walking up to a panel van that's offering free kittens. And, mm. you know, I hate it. But it's also the world we live in, and I believe in trying to reflect that. So, um, and trying to do it in the most realistic way possible with it still being kind of enjoyable to read, which mm. I tell you, it's quite a fine line to walk. Absolutely. But um, hopefully I manage. <laughs> now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this, this last question at you. With, yeah. a, with a spoiler warning, I'm not actually going to give anything away, but I think the point, yeah. that, the point that you make in the book that I would like to discuss is such yeah. that people may want to avoid. So okay. uh, 
Harper has set herself the mission. She wants to be a reporter and she, she has a stake in finding out what is happening. So as she goes out on her own to find the killer, she makes this the all-too-real observation. People always want killers to be monsters. Nobody wants it to be the hot guy. And I wondered, yeah. like, do stories have a role to play in our conception that somehow dangerous people have these big flashing neon signs that say monster, they look like monsters, they act like monsters, and, and thus we ignore the regular person who is doing small horrible things to influence or otherwise damage? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know that stories necessarily create that all that because, you know, you look at really old um, fables like Beauty and the Beast, and, I mean, he's a lovely guy by the end, right? So Mm. um, on a very basic level, no, I don't think so. I think that they reflect um, human nature and our need to believe that somebody bad looks bad and acts bad bad and – is that, you know, because it makes us feel safer than believing that it could be the really good-looking guy who's totally charming and is good with kids. I mean, that's terrifying because that means that you can't trust anyone. So I think people, as like as humans, we would prefer to believe the other. Um, and I remember reading a statistic, actually, about how much more likely you were to go to prison for um, murder if you were super unattractive and I remember that really struck me and I thought that was really wrong and the other thing was you were more likely if you were a woman to get a really long sentence and that really struck me so that sounds like it has some really interesting things to say about the way we the way we feel as a society around breaking taboos if you Mm. if you fail to I guess fulfill the role that someone has set for you you will be punished more harshly Yes, exactly. And I was really exploring that throughout the entire novel, even with um, Harper's character, because she has pretty much rejected every societal script. She said, no, I don't want love and I don't want marriage and I don't want kids. I want to focus on my work and I want to not um, be clingy. And if I want to get rid of a guy, I can do that. And, you know, she has rejected a lot of societal scripts. So I suppose I was looking at that from a lot of different angles. I want to reintroduce, I'm speaking with Pip Drysdale. We are discussing the Paris Affair and Pip, thank you so much. We we have taken a particular, um, I guess, line of uh, exploration in this incredible story. I think we've successfully avoided spoiling your, your amazing mystery. <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking the time because this is just so much, so much of this is so important to what I think men need to look at in, in the world today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for chatting. That's it for this great conversation with Pip Drysdale. Pip's new novel, The Paris Affair, is out now from Simon & Schuster. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you want to stay in touch, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2 ser If you subscribe in your podcast app, you'll get a new great conversation every week. Drop us a line, send us a rating. I would love to hear what you're reading. What are you enjoying right now? My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.